As we approach your word now, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, allow us to see our own blindness. God, allow us uh, to have our eyes open. God, allow us to um, allow us to to worship you. Allow us to uh, pursue you. Allow us to follow you like this blind man. Uh, God, I pray you would do that in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So the story takes place in a small town named Jericho in first century Israel. And, and in this small town, we have, uh, we have a young boy whose, whose name is uh, Bartimaeus. Uh, he's the son of Timaeus. And he, uh, normal, normal kid, doing normal kid things, growing up. And at some point in his youth, something tragic happens. And, and what I think maybe happened is, is he came down with a disease. He came down with, with something, and, and slowly his eyes began to dim. And certainly as this happened, he and his parents would hope that this is just a temporary ailment. But, but his eyes dim to the point where he cannot see anything. And weeks go by, then months go by, then years go by, and he, did, he does not regain his sight. He is blind for the rest of his life. And in that time and in that day, if you are not blind, how will you work? How will you take up a trade? How will you uh, make a living for yourself? Well, he doesn't. And so after blindness comes poverty. They call him Blind Bartimus or, or Blind Bart. Just trying to survive, he begins to beg, hoping on the pity of those who would pass by that they would just drop a few coins, give him enough so that he can get some bread to make it through another day. This is the life of Bartimus. He's begging day after day and then a story passes through town. A story of a man who, who can heal. A man who heals a person who is lame, whose legs had never worked. But this man named Jesus worked a miracle and this man who, who had legs that did not function was able to stand and walk and jump in delight. And I imagine Bartimaeus out begging day after day, maybe would think, I mean, is this true? Is it possible? Is it possible that someone can heal one that is lame? He probably begs next to those who are lame. Sitting along the same gates, along the same roads, he probably knew many men and maybe in their discussions could hear the excitement. There's a man out there that heals the lame. And I imagine he probably thought, I wonder if he can do more things. I wonder if he can do more. He wonders. Then another story passes through town. This same man, Jesus, healed someone else. This person was deaf. They couldn't hear. But Jesus spoke, and now he hears. And I, I, I can only think that he maybe starts to get his hope up a little bit. Maybe he can do more than make the lame walk. If he can make the deaf hear, is there a chance? Is it possible that someone could even heal blindness? No, certainly not blindness. 
That's something else entirely, not blindness. And then he hears more stories of the sick being healed. He hears an incredible story of someone who was dead being raised to life. Now his hope swells again. Surely, if he can make the dead raised to life, can't he make the blind see? And eventually the story would have passed through town of Jesus healing one born blind. Oh, how the hope must have welled up inside him. There's someone out there. This man, Jesus, he can heal even the blind. I have a hope, a chance. Now, of course, he can't travel. He has no money. And even if he did, he can't see. He, he would have no way to know where to look. But day after day, he begs and he hopes. And as he considers Jesus, he remembers that Bible teaching from his youth. He remembers when the scroll of Isaiah would be opened and read, he might remember that the Messiah, the, the, the promised one who's coming, was supposed to do these things, to, to heal the, the blind and the deaf and the lame, to raise people from death. Could this be the Messiah? Then he might also remember 2 Samuel, right? When, when another prophecy about the Messiah said that that he would be the son of David, a descendant of the great King David. He would come not to rule once or for one lifetime, but he would come to rule forever. This son of David, this Messiah, he, he's out there. He's doing these things. It's coming to pass. It's coming true. The time then comes near for uh, the, the annual pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem for the Passover feast. This is a week-long feast Jews from all over the region would make this pilgrimage, travel in from every corner to come to Jerusalem. And little towns like Jericho, who were along the way, would swell in size. Their inns would be packed, the restaurants, the, the every service you could offer. It would be a good time for the city. It'd be a good time for beggars. I mean, you're, you're blind, you're unable to see, you're begging by the side of the road, and here are a bunch of religious folks passing their way for their annual pilgrimage, who better to have pity on you? So I imagine this would be a great time for beggars as just droves of people pass by. And then he hears some noise and some excitement, right? He, he hears some commotion. This is more than just the normal crowds coming through. He says, what is it? What's going on? And one of maybe the other beggars, uh, maybe one that can see, he says, well, this, this Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. This is his shot. This is his one chance. Jesus, the one who heals the blind, is coming through his town. He's going to walk right by the gate that he begs day after day after day. This is his chance. But how? There's so many people. And Jesus is teaching and they're listening and there's, there's this buzz and this commotion. Surely he wouldn't even be able to get close to him. How could he be heard? And so our story says he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus doesn't hear it. His chance is slipping by. The people in the crowd say, Shh, quiet, quiet. He, don't, he wants nothing to do with you. Son of David, have mercy on me. He cries out again. 
And Jesus doesn't hear him. He continues to cry. He keeps on. And the more the crowd tries to quiet him up, the louder he cries until finally Jesus hears him. He says, bring him to me. And of course, we just read what happened. He does receive his sight. His faith has made him well. This is a story of blindness. This is actually a story of various kinds of blindness. I don't know if you picked up on that. There's, there's kind of two passages, but really it's all one. Because as Jesus is walking along, he's teaching his disciples, and he tells them quite plainly, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. They know that. We're going for the Passover feast. And everything is written, uh, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Those very same things this blind man knew and connected in his mind. This is the Messiah. He's doing all these signs. This is the Son of David, the King who will reign forever. Jesus says all these prophecies are being fulfilled. But among those prophecies are some about how he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated. Jesus is so specific. He says he will be spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And what's so interesting here is that the response is, but they, the disciples, those who have been walking with Jesus for years, they understood none of these things. You might say they're blind. They've been walking with Jesus for years. And he tells them, now in a, Jesus has been telling them what's going to happen. And a lot of times it's fairly veiled, right? A lot of times it's in parables or stories. Uh, sometimes he says things that, that even now still with the advantage of, of hindsight, we look at this and we go, uh, I don't know, that's a little bit hard to decipher. But it doesn't get much clearer than this, right? Okay, the, the time has come. I need, to, I need to let you know clearly, plainly, you have not understood so far. I need you to know what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Okay, these things are going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be mocked, spit on, flogged, killed, and then I'm going to raise again. They're going, what? What is he talking about? You see, they, they were blind. The, the disciples who had eyes that functioned were blind to the reality of who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing, what he was setting out to accomplish. Jesus tells them as plainly as he can, and they are completely and utterly blind to the reality. I think part of what's going on here is that it's not what he's looking for, or, or not what the disciples are looking for, right? Have, have you ever, like, somebody tells you to go find something in a workspace that's not your own, and you're not really sure what the thing is that you're supposed to be locating? And you might have in your mind, oh, it's going to look like this. And so you're, you're looking and you're scanning, and you're like, it's not here. This thing is missing. And, uh, and, and then they might say, no, it, it's right there. It's, it's right on the workbench. I, I'm looking at the workbench. It's not here, right? And then you, finally you need to get their help. I feel like this was every time uh, working with my dad as a kid. Like, go, go get the, the pipe wrench. I'm like, I don't know what a pipe wrench is. <laughs> like, it's right there, right? But you, they, they don't know what they're looking for, so they, they miss it. Even though Jesus tells them plainly, it's right there in front of their eyes to see. They miss it. Right? And it takes someone else coming along who says, this, this is a pipe wrench. This is what it looks like. It's right here the whole time. Right? They were looking for something entirely different and they missed it. The disciples, though they had sight, 
were absolutely blind. That's the first kind of blindness. The second kind of blindness we see from the crowd. And again, these are people with perfectly functioning eyes. Perfectly functioning eyes. They, they've come to see Jesus. They've come to see the miracles he can do. Some of them probably are coming for healing. They're coming to hear his teaching. They, they've heard of, of this Jesus. They want to see him with their own eyes. And while they are looking at him, they are blind to what's happening. Because when, when Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me, it should have reminded the crowd of something Jesus had just said. Luke 18, 13, same chapter, just a few verses earlier, Jesus tells a parable about a tax collector and a sinner, right? And or, I'm sorry, not a tax, a Pharisee and a sinner, uh, a, Pharisee, a, a very religious person and this wicked sinner, and they both go into the temple, right? And the Pharisee, the religious person, stands up and says, God, thank you that I'm not like these other men. Thank you that I'm not all of these terrible things, but I'm a good person. Thank you, God, that I am so great. Amen. Not the way to pray, by the way, okay? And, and at the same time, if you remember this story, this sinner, that's all we know about him, a sinner, he comes in and he stays far off. He dare not approach the front and he gets down on his knees and he beats his breast. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. And Jesus said, I tell you, one of these men went down to their house justified. And it was not the Pharisee. That's the cry of a sinner. That's the cry of repentance. That's the cry that leads to salvation. God, be merciful to me. And what does Bartimaeus cry? Son of David, be merciful to me. He cries out what Jesus had literally the same words Jesus had just said would lead a person to salvation. And the response of the crowd is, be quiet, be quiet, Jesus is teaching. Do you see the absurdity of their blindness? They missed it. They missed it. It was unfolding before them. I mean, the, 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 the way this is lined up couldn't be more perfect. They're totally oblivious. They want to see a miracle. They want to hear his teaching. And they just, they, they say, quiet to the distraction. That reminds me actually a lot of the Pharisees, the, the ultra-religious group uh, at that time. Uh, the, the Pharisees spent their days studying the scriptures. They would, they would seek in God's word for clues and indications of who the Messiah would be. When he will come, they studied and they labored over God's word to know when will this Savior come to us? And Jesus arrives. How fortunate are those that study God's word, devote their life to it, at the same point in history when God becomes a man and walks among them. Jesus even went into the temples and the synagogues and taught from the scrolls of the Old Testament. How incredible is this? And they said, shh, quiet, you're a distraction. We're trying to see who the Savior will be. Well, I'm him. No, shh, quiet, he's gonna look different. We're looking for him. 
I'm right here. I'm not hiding. Shh. Right? How they missed it, how blind they were. The crowd here is the same way. They're, they're, they're trying to see Jesus work a miracle. And, and they would ignore the miracle right in front of them, right? They're trying to see Jesus teach. And Jesus has a lesson for them, and they won't even hear it. They're blind. The crowd is blind. The disciples are blind, which, of course, brings us to the third kind of blindness, which is Bartimaeus. He's actually the only one that can see. The only one with vision in this story is the guy whose eyes don't work. It's, it's an incredible twist, uh, an ironic twist. Jesus, he, or I'm sorry, Bartimaeus is not just looking to Jesus for his sight, although he does want that desperately. And he asks Jesus plainly for it and receives it. But he knows something else. He can see something more clearly than the, the crowds of people with functioning eyes. He can see something so clearly. He sees already who Jesus is. In all of Luke's gospel, in all of Luke's gospel, there is one person who cries out, Son of David, and it's Bartimaeus. In all of Luke's gospel, there's one person who sees clearly that Jesus is the Son of David. Now, why is this significant? Why does this matter? Jesus has a lot of titles, a lot of names. Other people are saved. Why is it significant that, that he calls him son of David? It takes just a, a little bit of a history lesson. right? We want to look uh, at, at who is David. Um, well, David was uh, Israel's second king and Israel's greatest king in all of their history. Uh, and, and there's some really neat parallels between the life of David, the great king, and Jesus, the King of Kings. There's some really great parallels. First of all, David, uh, he, he is anointed king during the, the reign of this tyrannical, godless king who came before him, the first king of Israel. Uh, and, and under this oppression, in fact, uh, Saul is trying to kill David because he's afraid he's going to take his throne, although God has appointed it because, because Saul walked away from God, right? And and so uh, God sends a prophet to anoint David as king. But then there's a period of time from when David is anointed king before he actually takes the throne and rules and reigns in Israel. And if we look at Jesus, we look at Jesus on the cross, son of David, the king. There's a similarity there because while he is the king and he dies on the cross for our sins, there is a period of time, and in fact, we are in that period of time now where we wait for Jesus to rule and reign. We are in that period between the anointing and the reigning of the great king. And during that time, David went and gathered loyal followers to him. He built up his, his crew that would defend him and help him. And they had to wander like nomads, fleeing the wrath of the king until he could finally take the throne and Jesus, likewise, is gathering followers and believers, the faithful ones who, who will be with him. We're in that period of time now waiting for our king to take the throne, waiting for our king to make all things right. We're in that period of time now. 
David is called the man after God's own heart in the Bible. And, and Jesus, uh, more than being after God's heart, Jesus shows us God's heart, right? Jesus shows us how God loves people, even like blind Bart in his poverty, in his begging. Jesus shows us God's heart. David rules in relative peace. It is a glorious and wonderful time in the history of Israel, and we know that Jesus will bring ultimate peace, eternal peace. He brings even now the peace that surpasses all understanding. He is the King of Kings, the better David who is coming. David, the good king, he unites the nation of Israel. Shortly after his reign ends, uh, Israel would be split into two kingdoms. And it would be uh, uh, torn apart in this, in this painful civil war and would remain apart. But, but David, he unites the nation. All together, they submitted under David's kingship. And Jesus, the king of kings, unites from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. As David united these two nations, Jesus unites all nations, right? All who would call on his name now become uh, citizens of a, of a new nation, a new kingdom, which he is bringing together. And it's significant as well that, that, uh, that Blind Bart calls him son of David because he is, he's referencing the Davidic covenant, right? There's, there's the, the Davidic covenant, which was the promise made. So through, throughout history, God makes these covenants, these promises, these agreements with his people, which God will see through, right? And there's multiple, multiple covenants. One of them is the Davidic covenant. Uh, comes from 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And there's other details in there. But the, the thrust of what Bartimaeus is seeing here is that uh, Jesus is the descendant of David, and in fact, we have uh, in the beginning of Luke, we, we have the, the genealogy that traces Jesus back to David. Genealogies are, are not always the most exciting parts of the Bible to read, but they do reveal fascinating truths like this, that, that Jesus is literally descended from David, that he is from that line, that he fulfills this promise, this covenant, only his kingdom will, will not be one of a lifetime. He will rule and reign for all eternity, which, which we are waiting for eagerly. Our man Bart, he sees the urgency as well. He sees that Jesus is passing by. He has but one moment. As a blind person, he would not be able to follow Jesus he wouldn't be able to, to keep up with the crowd. He had this one moment. He sees the urgency. And in fact, the urgency is even more significant. As far as I know, this is the last, very possibly the last miracle Jesus performs publicly before he's crucified. It, it's the last miracle in Luke. Aside from during his arrest, uh, Peter swings his sword, chops a guy's ear off who's coming to arrest Jesus. Jesus picks the ear up, puts it back on his head. He's up, totally fine. Also a miracle. Uh, but that's not public in front of the crowds. That's during his arrest. 
Um, there, there's other things he does that are miraculous, uh, some prophecy and, and, and things like that. But as far as like his big public healing uh, miracles, I, I think this might be the last one. Uh, and I mean, think about that. He was, he was a moment away as Jesus was, was walking past. He was a moment away from losing his shot. I just think that's interesting. He senses the urgency. That's why he cries out. And when the crowd quiets him, he cries out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He continues to shout this until he's heard. He does not want this opportunity to pass by. And I, I think many of us have had Jesus not only walk by, not, not just passing by, but we've had Jesus stop and knock at the door. We've had Jesus say, hey, I'd like to come in. Like, nah, not now. Maybe another time. I don't know, let me get some things figured out first. Let me, let me get sorted out a little bit, and then I'd love to have you in. But, th but think of Bart here. Little Bartimaeus, I've really come to love this story and I've given him a nickname, I call him Bart, so I hope you're okay with that. Uh, I really, actually, this is not relevant, but uh, I have terrible eyesight. Uh, if, if I were born in this time, I too would be a beggar, right? But praise God for the invention of, of contact lenses. Uh, I can see, it's a miracle, it's great. Uh, if, if I were in this time, even if glasses were made, I would be walking around like this with my face to the ground, not not because I'm sad about glasses, but the glass would be so thick. Literally, it would pull my head down. Uh, and that's how I would walk around. So I praise God, I'm born when I am. Uh, and by the miracle of, of contact lenses and modern medicine, I can see just fine. But I, like, I really get along with Bart. I, I, I can feel his pain, okay? Wake me up in the middle of the night, my contacts are out. I stub my toe on everything. Stub it on, I mean, I can't see a thing. So anyway, uh, not relevant whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Bart here, he, he sees the urgency, he cries out, he knows this is his chance, he doesn't delay like many of us delay. He knows he, he, he's got to call out to him. Bart would have been just covered in dirt as a beggar. Think of how he would smell. Think of, of, of his unkempt beard. Hair, I'm, I'm sure he's maybe never had a haircut. I mean, beggars are, are not generally the most presentable people, even less so in the first century, right? So, so here's this, this guy with all this dirt and all this grime. He doesn't delay. I think the biggest mistake many of us make when we hear the gospel we hear the message, we hear the hope that Jesus offers, is we say, maybe later. Not now. I'm not ready yet. As if it's for us to be ready. It's not about us being ready. Jesus wants us covered in dirt, covered in filth, unkempt, smelly. He wants us just as we are. Please, don't you dare clean yourself up before coming to Jesus. The minute we start cleaning ourselves up in order to come to Jesus, we are communicating what we actually believe. We are communicating our blindness that I must do something to be saved. 
that Jesus does part of the work, but I must do the rest. That's to say Jesus isn't good enough to save me. He he can mostly save me, but I've got to do some of the work. That's blindness speaking. It's blindness speaking. Come as you are. Filthy, dirty, wretched, in the midst of the worst sin you've ever committed in your life. It doesn't matter. Come to Him. That's how He wants you. That's where He does His healing work. In the midst of your darkest hour, that's where Jesus can bring light in. Please, friends, do not clean yourself up to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus now. Let Him do the cleaning. It's far more thorough. Let Him do the cleaning. Come to Jesus as you are. Forget the blindness. See Jesus for who He really is. My my last point about Bart here is that the moment he meets Jesus, it changes the trajectory of his life. Verse 43 says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. Bartimaeus stands up. He's healed of his physical blindness, although spiritually he could see much better than anyone else. We know that. He's healed of his physical blindness. And he says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. This is fascinating because last week, if you remember last week's story, we had the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, go sell all you have and follow me. He commands, he tells that rich young ruler to follow me. And if you remember the end of the story, he walks away sad because he had many possessions. He couldn't let go of the possessions which had him, right? He couldn't let go of that. And so though Jesus told him to follow him, he doesn't. So tragic. Such blindness, right? And now we have a man, he heals him. He says, your faith has made you well. He now has eyesight. Jesus doesn't even have to say the word. He doesn't tell him to follow him. He doesn't say, hey, come with me. But what's he do? It's the most natural thing in the world. I'm going to follow this guy. He opens his eyes. The first thing his eyes sees is Jesus. The face of Jesus. What else would I want to behold? What else would I want to take in? You think about the the sun and the stars, the the landscape, the hills, the, the town, the excitement, all the things he could see. But what's better than seeing Jesus? I just want to see you, Jesus. I just want to see the one who who healed me. I want to see the one who gave me sight. Let me follow you. And he follows him. And in fact, we don't know know a a ton about Bartimaeus from the Bible. The Bible doesn't necessarily mention him uh, beyond he is in in three of the four Gospels. His story is told. Uh, But then we're not sure what happens. But there's some other historical texts outside the Bible. So we take them with an open hand. There's some other historical texts that tell us He went on to follow Jesus all through Jerusalem. He followed Jesus to the foot of the cross. One of the next things his newly healed eyes would see is his Savior murdered. But because he is not blind spiritually, 
That doesn't phase him. He knows Jesus will rise while the disciples run and hide, right? He's there at the foot of the cross. Uh, and, and more than that, history tells us that he was a powerful follower of Jesus who went on to tell his story and lead many others to Christ. He was a powerful part of the, of the, of the church as, as it was born and birthed out of Jesus' resurrection. He followed Jesus the rest of his life. Again, that's, that's historical you know, evidences that we have outside the Bible. So take it with an open hand. I, I don't know how reliable they are. Certainly not scripture, but uh, fascinating. And I don't see any reason to doubt it. He gets up and he follows Jesus and he doesn't stop following Jesus. Becomes a powerful worker for God's kingdom. There, there's a fourth blindness, though. There's a fourth blindness, and I missed it. I actually missed it until this morning. That was all I had. You're thinking, oh, man, we almost got out with a short one. No, that, so I told you that the story's told in Mark, and that's actually where we get his name, Bartimaeus. Mark uh, records his name, uh, that's, uh, which is consistent that if he went on to be a part of the church, that actually those who wrote the Gospels knew this guy. Like, it's not just some guy that Jesus performed a miracle on. It's Bart. It's our buddy Bart. He's going around. He's telling everybody about Jesus, right? So Mark tells us his name. Matthew, as he recalls the same story, he has a, a detail, and, and this is what's great about, especially the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, they supplement one another. Details that one may have found insignificant uh, maybe were more significant to the other, and then we can take and we can piece these all together and, and see a fuller picture. It's so fun. I love it, right? Matthew tells us there were two men that cry out to Jesus, that Bart had a friend with him, and together they cried, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus healed them both. Where's Bart's friend? It's easy to miss. But the more I started thinking about this, I have a theory. Take it for what it's worth. I think maybe this other man carried up in the excitement, seeing Bart's faith, Wanted to go along with that. Cries out with Bart, thinking, this might be my chance as well. And he's healed. He's given his sight. But I think he may have relapsed into blindness. Not physically. I think Jesus healed his eyes. I'm sure he saw the rest of his life. But I think he may have relapsed into spiritual blindness. And I think that's something that happens to us too. We, we may have had a moment where we, where we saw Jesus for who he was. A moment of spiritual clarity. And then life gets in the way. I mean, with these newfound eyes, I can go explore and do some things. Whatever, whatever the case might be, he's not mentioned. Bart gets named. In the Bible by name. That's a short list. He's named in the story. And Mark and Luke didn't even see significant to mention he was there. I feel like he may have relapsed into blindness. Again, it's just my theory. But certainly I can, I can relate with that. I can relate with, with the idea of having once seen Jesus as glorious that I, I might kind of forget that. 
And I don't know if, if you can resonate with that. I don't know if that's a place you have been in your life or, or maybe are in right now, but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Because there's still time. Right now is the moment to repent of blindness. Whether you've been blind before and was able to see and have returned to blindness or, or whether you have never seen Jesus for who he is, there is now an opportunity to repent. The, the time is here. Hear me on this. This is my, my final uh, thought I'll, I'll leave you with. Jesus heals this man on his way to Jerusalem. And if you have read more of these Bible stories, you know that it was common Jesus would heal somebody and then he would tell them to go tell no one, right? And often Jesus says the phrase, my time is not yet come. Don't tell anyone, although of course many of them went and told everyone they ever knew anyway, uh, but that's okay, right? There was a time for Jesus to keep a lid on things. There was a time for Jesus to say, we need to be quiet, uh, I, I, I don't want you to tell everyone, you know, go tell your family, uh, you know, go, go repent, go to the temple, all those things, right? But this time, he doesn't tell him to remain quiet. He follows with him. And I'm sure Bart could not stop telling the story. And that was okay with Jesus because the time had come. By healing this man, and allowing him to tell the story, Jesus seals his fate. He could have avoided going to Jerusalem and the gruesome fate that awaited him, but he doesn't. He could have gone to Jerusalem quietly, snuck around, maybe visited some of his, his faithful followers, and then gotten out of town before the authorities who wanted him dead and were plotting his murder found out he was there, but instead he marches into town with blind Bart saying, this is the son of David. The king is here. Our Messiah is here. Our Savior is here. I was blind, now I see. He healed me. He's declaring this, and it seals Jesus' fate. In order to give this man sight, Metaphorically speaking, Jesus gives up his life. Isn't that significant? And in fact, just after this event, when they get to the city of Jerusalem, Matthew 21, 9 tells us, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David. The same name that Bartimaeus pointed out. The name that would seal his fate on the cross. Jesus metaphorically gives up his life to give this man his sight. And obviously, that points to how Jesus gave up his life on the cross. For what purpose? To give us our sight. Not to heal us physically, but spiritually. And maybe physically, he does that too. But, but the more, the, the bigger miracle here, he had healed sight before. It's not that big a deal to Jesus, right? Not that big a deal. But to, to heal spiritual blindness, that's the real miracle in this story. 
That's the much bigger miracle that billions of people could have their spiritual sight restored because Jesus goes to the cross. He dies not for his own sins. Friends, he dies on the cross for my sins, for your sins, for Bart's sins, for the disciples' sins, for our lack of spiritual clarity. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies in our place. He dies for our sins. He pours his life out to death to restore our spiritual sight. Jesus is buried. He's put in the grave for three days. And of course, we know the end of the story. After three days, he, he rises from death. Resurrection. And that's what he offers to us, is eternal life. Life with him forever. That if we if we submit to him, follow him, allow him to heal us, we can, like Bart, follow him forever. We can follow him. The, the real blessing of heaven is, is not all the amazing things we tend to picture, right? It's that we get to be with Jesus. Being in the presence of Jesus is all Bartimaeus wanted. It's the greatest thing we could possibly have. And, and Jesus going to the cross allows a way for us to receive that, allows a way for us to be with him forever in heaven for all eternity because he died in our sins for our place. Uh, I, I want to read you this quote from Spurgeon. You cannot have your eyes opened until your mouth is opened. Open your mouth in prayer and he shall open your eyes to see so shall you find joy and gladness. And like, what's, what's Bartimaeus' prayer? Have mercy on me. The sinner at the temple, what's his prayer? Have mercy on me. We don't need lots of words. We need simple prayer. Let's pray now. Father God, what more can I say, God? Have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Son of David, the rightful king, have mercy on us. Lord, I pray that you would give us sight. Spiritually, let us see who you are. Let us receive the blessing that, that you are eager to pour out on us. Have mercy on us, sinners needing of your grace, needing of your sight. Amen.